On this episode, I interviewed Adam Parr, who is the interim head fitness coach and sports scientist at Minnesota United. We started off talking about strength and conditioning topics within soccer. We first talked about sometimes the sometimes having a negative connotation with strength and conditioning within soccer and how that differs between the setting um, and then Adam's experiences on that. We talked about what his programming looks like for for soccer and how he tries to get buy-in from players on the benefits and importance of performance. We talked about upper body training within um, soccer and then we talked a little bit about uh, what he does conditioning wise for his athletes. We then kind of moved more into the sports science side of things and we talked about uh, what he prioritized with his multiple roles, having to kind of make the best of the small time he had um, as he's expanded over so much. Uh, we then t- went into if he had more time, what are the things he'd prioritize and in, in, in use in the sports science side of things. And then how to practically implement all of this was one of his big uh, big points, and we talked about that. And then we finished on kind of the differences of sports science education and application in the U.S. versus Australia and the U.K., as Adam did his degree in Australia through an Australian institution. So we kind of talked about the pros and cons of each and the differences and what he thought, thinks could improve in his opinions. So great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Adam Parr, who's the interim head fitness coach and sports scientist at Minnesota United. So thank you very much, Adam, for being on. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you first just want to introduce yourself, give a little background, kind of how, how you got right now, education, and then how you got into sports science and strength and conditioning. So uh, I'm currently the strength coach for Minnesota United, and then also, as you mentioned, the interim head fitness coach and, and sports scientist um, due to some staff departures and, and COVID. Um, but uh, I have been here in the States uh, my whole life and I did my undergrad at San Diego state in kinesiology. Um, and then I wound up working as an intern, a sports science intern for a team in MLS called Chivas USA that no longer exists. Um, and they've been folded and rebranded as LAFC, uh, for those of you who know uh, MLS here. And then, um, I wound up actually, once that kind of went away, I wound up getting in the private sector and I owned my own fitness company in Beverly Hills for eight or nine years. Um, but really wanted to get back in the team setting. So, uh, I wound up, um, doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of my colleagues who were still in the league and elsewhere and, and got recommended to do the, um, master of high performance sport program at uh, ACU at Australia Catholic university. Uh, and so I started that in 2018, um, and then, uh, flew through it and then finished, uh, uh, 14, 15 months later, 2019. So about a year and a half ago. Um, and while I was doing that, I got the opportunity to go work, um, for a second division soccer team here in the U S uh, Reno 1868, uh, who actually now no longer exists as well, which is funny. Um, uh, but they, we were basically like the, uh, the feeder team into, uh, the major league soccer team in San Jose, the San Jose earthquake. So I got to work in the San Jose earthquake organization, um, and work with all of them and kind of, while I was doing the masters, really, uh, as we kind of discussed, everything I was reading research-wise was able to apply it, you know, the next day with my athletes. Um, and so I was there for two seasons, and then uh, at the end of last season, um, wound up getting the opportunity to come here to Minnesota United, 
Um, again, originally just as a strength coach, because uh, we had a head fitness coach uh, and then also a sports scientist. And then uh, they both departed uh, towards the beginning of the season. And because of uh, hiring freeze and, and COVID and everything, uh, I basically was handed all three positions and said, you're going to do this for the rest of this year, all three. Um, and so it was a bit overwhelming at first, but luckily I'd, I'd done all of that at the lower levels with Reno. So I had a little more experience with it. Um, and then uh, we had the most successful season that the club has ever had. We're only in the fourth year in MLS, but uh, we, this was the second season in a row that we were in the playoffs, but we won our first playoff game uh, and actually wound up making it all the way to the Western Conference final. And we're only a few minutes away from making it to MLS Cup final before uh, Seattle kind of came back and snatched it from us. Um, so it was definitely a very successful season and I'm, I'm pretty proud of everything that we did um, from a performance and medical side. I'm considering the, um, that we were very much undermanned and I was, I was doing pretty much all the performance stuff on my own. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations on the season. And yeah, it gives, gives us a lot to talk about then with being able to have, well, I don't know if it's being able to, but having to have multiple different roles of, uh, throughout the uh, organization. Uh, I guess maybe the first thing we can kind of start off, um, from what I've seen, um, the strength and conditioning within soccer uh, definitely, f- there's been a lot of I know chat about it and how people perceive it, and coaches, athletes, so on. So I guess you want to kind of give a brief overview of your experiences on how that's kind of gone, and maybe how you reframe things to a more performance aspect and show the benefit of why strength and conditioning, sports science, and so on is, I guess, still important within soccer in in your opinion in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know there's a lot of a lot of times there's kind of a negative connotation with strength training for certain parts of the world and, and also um, certain coaches who are kind of from a more of a bygone era, I would say. Um, but for, luckily I haven't experienced too much of that. Um, everywhere that I've been, um, the, the coaches have been pretty bought in with, uh, at least especially with the S&C side. Sports science side is still um, kind of growing here in the U.S. Um, even at the top, at the top levels, it's not necessarily uh, as abundant as it is in places like Australia or the U.K. Um, but um, luckily for me, just like coming from a strength coach perspective, uh, initially, um, I haven't had too much experience with the negative connotation, and maybe it's just uh, because it's here in the U.S. Um, or the teams I've been involved in. But like here in the U.S., obviously, a lot of players still go through the college system. Um, and so they get experience, you know, that the players, especially in in MLS, but even at the level below, um, in USL, a lot of them have played at top tier D one universities. So they have some exposure to strength coaches. You know, sometimes it's just, they, they get a strength coach for three or four months in the off season and that's it, but they at least have some sort of structure and they have familiarity with being in the gym. Um, and then even, (coughs) excuse me, those, um, players who skip the college system and kind of go straight from the academy. Uh, nowadays, the academies in, in MLS and just in, in the U.S. in general have come a long way. And so, you know, especially the MLS academies, um, but even some of the other ones have, you know, performance coaches, strength coaches that, you know, are getting them in the gyms and getting and getting them lifting at a certain age and, and kind of focusing on long-term athlete development. Um, and so I think from my perspective, I've been lucky that pretty much most of the players I've, I've come in contact with in, in the soccer landscape have all had some sort of background, um, you know, and then the, the few that I have come in contact with who maybe um, 
don't necessarily see it as a negative, but just uh, aren't too familiar with it are, are the players that kind of don't have a lot of experience with lifting. And a lot of times um, the, on the teams that I've been involved with, it's been more the, the South uh, Americans, Central Americans, and then, you know, some Europeans. Um, and it, again, they don't necessarily, from what I've experienced, have, don't have a negative connotation, but it's just more of a, a lack of confidence because they're just not familiar with it. They haven't been asked to do certain things in the gym or, you know, some of the things that they've done in the past, you know, has been really lightweight stuff, bodyweight stuff, or it's the stuff that you see, you know, on, on YouTube or Instagram where they're doing stuff on the field, you know? Um, so it's just more a lack of confidence. And so as far as trying to explain the benefit, um, the first thing I always try and do with all, all my players, but especially the ones who have, um, a little bit of a, um, hesitancy to want to get in the gym is just trying to understand where they're coming from. Uh, you know, do they have no experience in the gym, you know, first off, um, or were they maybe previously injured by doing something in the gym? Because un unfortunately, you know, even in the U S but a lot of places in the world, there's still a lot of people who are designing the gym programs or the fitness programs or whatever that, you know, don't necessarily have the right qualifications to be doing it. There's still a lot of places where it's very much just a friend of the coach, you know, or somebody who's been, you know, a local person that, that the club hires. So, um, you know, did they have experience? Did they, were they injured? Um, and then try to kind of dive deeper into their backstory um, as far as how they feel about those things and try and connect with them a little bit more on a, on a human level to build buy-in. Um, and, and once I understand where they're coming from and why they have hesitancy or why they're maybe not, necessarily as willing to be in the gym as, you know, the, the rest of the guys, um, you know, I like to start them off with the basics, you know? Um, I mean, I, I try to individualize programs as much as possible. You know, this year it was a challenge obviously, cause I was doing three jobs. Um, and it was 2020 with all the COVID stuff and it was just a challenge, but generally, you know, with someone like that, I'll start them off with the basics, um, really just to build their confidence, to be honest, you know, um, it's not anything specific towards, their needs analysis or anything like that. It's just what's going to build confidence in them. So they see, okay, like it's okay for me to be in here and to be doing this, you know, and I'm not, this isn't going to crush me, you know? Um, and then once we start doing that, I also try and speak to them, you know, in or out of the gym, you know, sometimes on the field, you know, in passing in the, in the facility or, you know, during the lift um, and, and just try and speak to them as a person and, and let them know, Hey, I'm here for you. Like I'm here to make you better. What I'm asking you to do, it's not, a punishment, you know, a lot of times some players come from places where, um, uh, coaches will use physical work as punishment. Um, and because, you know, my, uh, role or, or position is strength coach, right. Some of them still see me as, you know, part of the coaching staff, even though I'm, I'm on the, under the performance and a medical umbrella. Um, and so I just try and let them know like, Hey, you know, I'm not doing this as the coaches aren't telling me to do extra stuff with you or anything like I'm here to make you better. I want to get you, you know, keep you more resilient so that you're going to be at less risk for injury, get you stronger, you know, faster, more explosive, like things that are going to help you on the field and just kind of plant those seeds and slowly pick away at that, you know, so, and peel the onion back, I guess, um, you know, over time. Um, and then as they gain more and more experience and confidence, um, in the gym, then start adding more complexity and then individualizing it a little bit more towards them. Um, and then one of the things that I love to do for players, no matter where they are on the spectrum, as far as their lifting experience is make sure that I'm always trying to point out, um, when certain things are translating like the, from the gym to the field. So, you know, for example, one player who had no experience really in the gym, uh, 
that with the team I worked with last year um, was uh, from from one of the island nations where he didn't do anything uh, before, but he's naturally very very strong. Um, and but he had never done it. He was really scared to get in the gym just in general because he thought it was going to mess up his uh, his game. And I got him lifting and doing stuff, and he got really you know confident and started lifting heavier and heavier. And all of a sudden you know, his max speeds were jumping up every week that we were testing max speed. And he would come to me and say, I feel stronger. So I feel faster. I feel quicker, more explosive. And then I could show him the data and be like, Hey, listen, you know, look at this, look at your max speed. Or I'd come to him after training and be like, Hey, you hit a new max speed today. You know, all that work is really helping. And then when we're in the gym telling him like, this is going to translate to this specifically, you know, and then that way, again, it's just planting those seeds where they re- realize, okay, like what I'm doing is actually going to help me on the field, you know? And also it's not, the goal isn't to make me super sore or to punish me. It's, you know, he wants me to get, get faster so that I can score more goals and then eventually get a better contract or get a, a transfer overseas or whatever it is, or make the national team, you know, like he's, in, he's in my corner, you know? And so that's kind of something that I really try and do with, with everybody is just point out their wins along the way so that they can see where things are translating, you know, from the gym to the field. Yeah. A lot of good points coming from there. So I think first off starting, you kind of touched on the aspect of, how the U.S. or in your opinion, you've had good relationships, and how the U.S. has the college system, and and it's pretty ingrained in strength conditioning. I was actually having a conversation with a coach the other day that works with a team in Australia that isn't uh, doesn't have that luxury of having you know the the college system. And in his point was to what he's trying to do is start them earlier, so and build up like you were with the college system of of having players start when they're younger and understand the importance of it and get used to it and build you know, the small things so then you can really push them later on and they won't be, you know, like ridiculously sore and they won't be starting very, very light and thinking, oh, this is too basic. I'm not getting any benefit from it. So I think, yeah, that's a really good point you brought up with, like I said, the U.S. college system. Uh, And then I think that another good thing is how you talked about it's not necessarily you're not trying to punish them. You're trying to improve them. So you're not like you're not a sports coach making they missed a you know, had a had a poor game, poor practice, so on. Um, and then, and then that's also with your sports science side, being able to utilize your data and make sure they see those improvements and then they can, um, understand the benefit of it and visually objectively see it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it builds so much more buy-in when they can see that that process and the progress is being made on a weekly basis. Yeah. So, so for your, um, I guess, programming for soccer and, and how you kind of go about things. Uh, what does that look like, whether that be in-season, off-season, upper body, lower body? You don't have to go, again, super dip, super specific in it, but just kind of in general, what are, what are some of the main key things you try to consider and implement when you're programming for soccer, strength and conditioning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, this season was, was atypical. Um, you know, we – started the season and then two weeks into the season had a two and a half month lockdown. Um, and you know, most of our players initially didn't have any access to any weight. So I had to program basically body weight stuff for, you know, six weeks or so. And then we were able to get them some kind of lighter weights so that they had something, but obviously it's not ideal. Um, you know, and we didn't have, we, the state of Minnesota, we couldn't go and get stuff from local gyms, like a lot of other teams in the league could. So we were really constrained as far as what we could do. So we had to get, creative and then once the season kind of started back up again and that's when I took over all three of the roles um you know we started with a MLS's back tournament in Orlando that like kicked off the season again and we really only had three and a half weeks of a a 
quote unquote preseason to prep for that tournament after having two and a half months off, basically the guys were doing some individual training and stuff, but they couldn't do anything in the gym, um, until that point. Um, and so my whole thing with that preseason, so to speak, was just working on basic strength because I knew, you know, none of the guys were going to be where they were, you know, after the, our normal preseason and the beginning of the season, after we'd been lifting for five or six weeks, you know, um, and then they'd taken basically two and a half months off from any real, like seriously heavy lifting. So it was just kind of building up a basic strength, uh, base for all of them. And then, uh, like going into that tournament and then tournament in Orlando, we wound up going on a run in that tournament as well, making it to the semis. So we were there for 41 days, um, at this resort with these makeshift gyms, which were fantastic, like for, for what they were. Um, but there were only certain days that we had access to it and things like that. So it was difficult to really program. So after talking to some people that, you know, I'm good friends with and, and also uh, some mentors of mine who work with national teams and things like that. Um, uh, my focus was really during the tournament to like keeping the guys fresh, um, and as fresh as possible. So, you know, um, I kind of transferred to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, more like simple power exercises and plyometrics and things like that, that, you know, we're going to get you bang for the buck, but also we're not going to leave the guys, um, really sore that they could be from any of the strength stuff, but also not more complex power stuff where they were going to like fry their CNS. Um, and the squad was rotating a good amount as well too. So it, it wasn't even like I could separate guys into groups of like, okay, the ones that are playing a lot, the ones that are kind of fringe subs and then the ones who are not playing at all, there was a lot, everyone was kind of playing a little bit, so you couldn't really do much. Um, and then, once the regular season started, you know, the schedule was all over the place. So I think we had two games a week for a while and then always different days, sometimes Saturday, sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, sometimes Sunday. Then sometimes we'd have 12 or 14 days between a game. Um, and so it was really difficult to program. Um, but what I tried to do was keep it really simple. And, you know, when we could have one day of basic strength exercises and then one day of power exercises, um, more so just for maintenance throughout the season. Um, but in a typical season, um, I like to work in, in three week phases, um, depending on the fixture schedule, obviously. Um, but I kind of like to progress from uh, basic strength at the end of the off season, um, and, and into the preseason, uh, with max strength in preseason and, and then transition to like simple power exercises to, to start the season. So the guys are kind of really flying, um, and then transition to complex power stuff. Um, and then, so like, um, Olympic lifting derivatives and then maybe transition to actual Olympic lifting and then some more derivatives. Um, and then eventually to more like speed mechanic type stuff. And then eventually to uh, velocity based training. Um, and then to kind of finish the last couple months or third of the season with, with VBT, um, so that they're really peaking and flying for the playoffs. Um, so that, that was kind of my goal for this year. And then obviously 2020 happened, so it didn't happen. It didn't really come off, but that's kind of how I would program <laughs> the, uh, the whole season if I could. Um, and then in general, I like to, um, program, uh, for the players, like based off their positions. Uh, and then obviously, you know, adding stuff from their injury history or, or their needs analysis, you know, but, um, if you look at, you know, for us, for example, our outside backs, you know, are the way that we like to play is we get our outside backs in the attack all the time and sending whipping and crosses and stuff. So they're running up and down the wings like all game long and they, they have a ton of high speed running and a ton of sprinting every game. You know, if you compare that to our center midfielders who are covering the most ground every game, but they have very little sprint. Um, but so what you have to do kind of, for, in, in my opinion, is you know, our outside backs need to do a lot more stuff that's going to prepare them for more explosive sprint actions. 
and then center mids, you know, more work capacity, right? So they're not doing the same program. Um, you know, it can be similar exercises and whatnot, but you have to be able to vary their programs, whether it's set rep schemes, things like that. Um, and then add specific exercises that are tailored towards their individual, um, position. And then along with that, you know, in conjunction with the medical staff, with our athletic trainers, you know, um, adding stuff for their injury history or their needs analysis, you know, from, from when we do testing, you know, whether it's Nord board groin bar, you know, dynamometer, whatever, you know, throughout the season, just to make sure that guys are, you know, where they need to be for the most part. Um, and that's kind of how I like to go about it, you know, when I have an actual real season ahead of me. Yeah. Uh, so, so would you say it's pretty similar, I guess, generalized approach as of the main goals of you're trying to get the adaptations of the athletes is there anything specific you would change in soccer as i know again another and this is probably more stereotype or connotation of it is people don't like to train upper body because i don't use it and so on and that's what a lot of players will say that i've heard what is your how do you kind of go about that and what is your opinion on training you know obviously your full body and making sure you get the benefits of everything yeah i mean uh for us all of our team lifts are total body, yep. you know, strength lift, it's total body. And then if it, or if it's a power lift, it's total body, doesn't matter. Um, and, uh, for me, I've actually experienced the opposite guys would mm-hmm. rather train their upper body than their lower body just because, you know, they're, they're going to be more tired, <laughs> excuse me, fatigued, whatnot in their legs. And that's, you know, that those are their money makers. Right. Um, and so a lot of guys, and again, maybe it's a, maybe it's more of a U.S. thing, but, um, a lot of the guys, they want to have the chiseled upper, upper body, you know, uh, for the look and whatnot. And so, uh, and I'm fine with that because for me, whatever's going to get them in the gym, um, and get them more exposed to being in the gym and more, just more comfort level is fine because then they're going to want to be in there more. And then uh, on the team lift days where we're actually, I'm asking them to do trap bar deadlifts or, you know, whatever, some sort of, um, power exercise, what, and, and it's, they're using, you know, going to triple extension or whatever, they're much more apt to do it because they're used to doing it. It's not the only time that, that they're in the gym that week. So I actually, one thing I like to do is, like I said, I'll, we'll have specific training, um, team lift days where everybody's mandatory. You have to do the lift that is programmed for you. Um, but I'll have optional lifts throughout the week on the, on the other days as well. Um, and so we have TV screens all, all in our gym. And so I, we use like Google drive and I basically post the, the lift for the day, you know, um, up on those screens. And so they'll, and then they know based on the schedule, you know, if there's a mandatory lift or an optional lift. Um, and so when they come in, if they know it's optional, let's say, what's the, what's the lift today? And I'm like, okay, it's, a, it's an upper body, you know, um, or it's a, a total body one. They were focusing on this, you know, whatever it is. And, generally they are a lot of guys like to do the upper body stuff. Um, and so I'll, I'll sprinkle those in when I can. And then one thing that I've done that has, has been successful everywhere I've gone to be honest. And, um, I got this from my buddy, Tom Williams, who's the, uh, the strength coach at, um, Toronto FC. Um, and he and I did our masters through ACU together. And so we've become good friends. Um, but the day on match day minus one, uh, I actually put up an upper body lift, uh, that's called arm farm. And the guys love it because they're just getting the pump in, you know, like I said, there's no scientific basis for it, anything like that. I don't want anyone to think that, you know, um, I'm disregarding that. It's just more for me, it's a mental thing. And, and this is the way Tom explained it to me. And I've, I've experienced it with a lot of players is the guys like to get that kind of, you know, the bicep, the chest, the tricep, the pump the day before the game uh, so that they look good, good in their jerseys. Right. But also it's a psychological thing. Like they are feeling themselves 
going into the game. And so they're already in a, like a, a better psychological state. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm really big on, on the mental aspect of things. And so whatever I can do to get them feeling good going into the game and feeling like, okay, I look good. I feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to play well tomorrow. Like I'm going to try and do it. And I've had a lot of success with that at multiple levels. And so um, I always match day minus one, the guys know like arm farm is always up, you know, and if somebody wants something more specific, then I'll, I'll write something for them or I have different programs that I can put up specifically for them. But um, the guys love it. They'll come in and be like arm farm today. Yep. Okay, great. I'll be in there, you know? And so it, it's just become kind of a staple and I got to give kudos to Tom for that because uh, it, it, it's a brilliant thing. Uh, and, it, and it's worked really well for me. Yeah. I, Experience definitely experience the same thing with the AFL guys over here. So they love love to train the arms as well and gets gets them all excited and hyped up. So that's that's probably a tool you can use sometimes if the energy's low. Uh, I guess kind of going on to for more of the injury risk reduction type aspect side of things. What do you do anything specifically, or is there anything you'd like to incorporate within your training conditioning programs to help try to mitigate injury risk of, of players at all within the soccer setting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to be doing that in this day and age if you're in the performance realm, um, you know, and everybody does things differently. But um, for for us, for soccer, the two, um, you know, biggest injuries for time loss um, are, you know, hamstring strains and adductor strains, right? So hamstring strains are the number one um, injury for time loss in, in, in professional soccer. And so um, we really focus on that a lot. Um and so the things that I like to incorporate is uh, we do Nordics every week uh, during the um, strength uh, training session. And um, I usually, I like to follow the, the similar protocols from the research um, and I usually begin in preseason. So, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes you're doing, you know, two times a week, three times a week, whatever during preseason. And I, it sucks. The players hate it because you're doing like a lot of volume, but you know, I try and again, explain to them why and the, you know, they're, to build the buy-in because then as we get to a certain point within the season, then it's just maintenance and it's one set of four or whatever, one set of three every week. Um, and then I also like to um, throw the Nord board in there like every four to six weeks and have them test as part of that on the day that they're going to be doing the Nordics anyway, so that we're getting their numbers to see where they're going throughout the season, the season to see if, if there's anyone that we need to do extra stuff with, uh, obviously. And so it just becomes kind of part of a staple. The guys know like every week they're doing Nordics and, you know, there's uh, a little bit of backlash initially during preseason to the guys who haven't done them all that much. But, you know, by about the after the first third of a quarter of a third of the season, everyone was on board and just, you know, they know they see the uh, Eric's pad set up and they see it on the board and they're like, OK, I know Nordics to finish the session, you know, and they just go over and do them. Um, and so that's been great. Um, so I always try and incorporate that. Um, another thing that I'm really big on, you know, from a lot of the research is coming out right now is trying to get max speed exposure, uh, in the week, uh, from training. Um, it's not always, uh, easy because, um, sometimes the coaches are not like that. Sometimes coaches are still a little more old school thinking and they don't want the guy sprinting as, as fast as they can. Um, especially like if it's, you know, match day minus two or match day minus one or whatever, um, because they think that that's going to be an injury risk. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where trying to work with the coaches and make them and, and, and educate them on why, but then also, okay, well, how can we get this within the training session? What are some drills that are going to elicit this, especially for the guys that are going to be doing a good amount of sprinting throughout the game. We need to make sure we get, you know, a number of exposures or a certain distance, you know, in the training se sessions leading up to it. 
Um, and so trying to do that. Um, and then if, if for whatever reason a guy hasn't gotten it or hasn't gotten enough throughout the week, you know, doing top offs afterwards. And, um, we were really successful with that this year and the coaches were really bought in on that. Their whole thing was just, you know, as long as it's not match day minus one, um, any other day that they're fine with me grabbing the guys afterwards. And the guys got to know it really well. And, you know, once they, they saw me coming up to them on match day minus three or match day minus two, and they'd say, what do you need me to do? And it's like, okay, I need you to do, you know, a, a quick sprint from the 18 to half cool. Or I need you to do a high speed run from 18 to 18 and they would just do it and it's over with, and then they're done with, with training. And so, um, trying to get the max speed exposure when possible, um, within training. And then, um, obviously adding other things in the gym, uh, like that, you know, you see in research and whatnot, like RDLs, you know, different variations, whether it's bilateral, you know, whether that is, uh, with a barbell, with dumbbells, with kettlebells, whatever, um, unilateral, you know, with whatever you need, you know, et cetera. And then even stuff like hamstring curls on the ball as part of, uh, as part of their kind of pre-training activations on a regular basis, you know, just little things like that, trying to incorporate um, as much from the research uh, as you can. And then for uh, adductors, the biggest thing that I like to do for the whole team is just uh, going through the Copenhagen series. Um, again, following protocols from research beginning in preseason and kind of just throughout the, the rest of the season um, and just progressing at certain points. Um, and then obviously if certain guys, when we do the groin bar, if they're at risk more then we will add specific things. But the one thing that the whole team does on a regular basis is doing specific Copenhagen series stuff. So addressing the the biggest injuries, obviously, with your Copenhagen's Nordics and then your max velocity sprinting to try and make him as resilient as possible in the preseason and carry that throughout the season to try and hold there without having to do as much work. Uh, I guess, so for kind of moving into that, we can go touch on the conditioning or the side of things uh, as we kind of talked about the max velocity sprinting. I guess how much involved are you with that? Uh, I've known a or do you do specific conditioning sessions or is it kind of built more into practice and you monitor GPS and so on from there? Yeah. Um, this year it was more built into practice just because of the way that the season unfolded as far as how often we were playing. Like we very rarely had full, um, a full week of training. It was very, usually just a few days in between games. Right. So, when you look at a lot of the research and whatnot, as far as, you know, there's stuff out there where you want to have, you know, X amount of um, a game load of total distance or of high speed running or of sprinting, like within a training week, right. Whether it's 1.5 to 2.5 to three on certain things, whatever it is, there's a lot of different research out there, but it, it was very difficult for us to do that this year because we wouldn't have a full training week. So what, uh, what I would do is take a look at, all of our data from the GPS basically, and look at, you know, kind of the main uh, metrics that we really focused in on, which was, you know, total distance, high speed running, sprinting, XLs, D cells, things like that, <laughs> excuse me. Um, and um, look at their weekly accumulated load to make sure that we had um, certain exposures for everybody that needed it um, or certain loads that we wanted. Um, but then also, you know, looking at AC ratios and I know, a lot of people are not into AC ratios as much anymore as they were a few years ago, but I still like to use them. It's not the end all be all, but for me, it's more, it's one tool. Um, and so by looking at that um, and seeing if someone's low or if someone's high, it just 
allows me to um, have a general idea and then I can dive deeper and look at their accumulated average for that week um, and then even look at their their amount of exposures and things like that. And then I can go in and say, okay, well, this person, if they don't get X amount of high-speed running today in training, we need to do some top offs afterwards, you know, or sprinting or distance or whatnot. And then there are certain drills that I'll have them do if they need extra stuff, you know, if they need sprints, if they need high speed running, if they need total distance, you know, um, there are certain drills that we'll have them do. <laughs> but, um, that was kind of how we did it this year, just because of the, the way that the season unfolded. But, um, if it was a normal season, like in the past with the teams that I've worked for, I'm, um, a big fan of programming off of max aerobic speed. Um, and so, you know, doing a fitness tester in preseason, obviously, um, there, there's a million you can do out there. Um, but just get doing one where you're going to be able to get a fairly accurate uh, mass score for everybody. And then you can utilize that to program. And I like to do, you know, the different doggies, whether they're 15 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever different, you know, rest ratios, uh, work to rest ratios. I mean, whether it's one to three, one to two, one to one, you know, and then you just have different distances and then you can group guys based on what their scores are. So I like to do that. Like if we wanted to continue to work on fitness, you know, week in and week out, um, Obviously, there's a lot of other things that you can do as well. Um, but for me, I, I like to look at uh, a lot of the work from Adam Owen, um, and he has a lot of stuff on that, um, you know, previously in his books and things like that. And I just, it's a, it's a very simple way to get fitness. And you know, the coaches enjoy it because it's, it's quick, but it also like the guys work hard. Um, but also, um, I feel like you're getting simulating game-like conditions for the most part, um, as far as the work-to-rest ratios. So. I'm a big proponent of that. Um, so in, in a normal season, I, I would kind of do that. Uh, but obviously this wasn't a normal season. So we had to, you know, just work within the constraints of the week. Yeah. So you, would you say that in, in general, if you can, you try to get them as most, as much as you can conditioning wise throughout practice um, with, with the drills and training and all that. And then you integrate your top ups when necessary with um, your kind of conditioning sessions. And then for that, you, you prefer MAS, um, in general. Okay. I guess moving kind of combined, obviously since you had the multiple roles, um, with, within this season, what would you say, I guess, first off, start with the question, what, what data did you prioritize this season? Uh, and what did you look at? What did you monitor? Uh, and what did you implement into your training this season? And then what would you, if you obviously had more of your staff and more of an ideal situation, what would, what would you have added into that to kind of help uh, for best performance in uh, sports medicine uh, for the players? Yeah, I mean, I, I briefly touched on it earlier, but um, I mean, as with most things uh, nowadays for the external workload, you know, we were looking at GPS um, and we have seven or eight real key metrics that we look at. And then we have, uh, you know, another seven or eight that are kind of secondary, but the, the main ones, you know, like I said, are total distance, high speed running, sprinting, XL, D cell, um, and then different um, zones within those obviously. Um, and so just looking at that, you know, as far as coaches report, reporting that, you know, to the coaches every day, but then looking at that within our um, athlete management system, um, we use Kitman labs, uh, which is great. And so, using that to have specific graphs and, and flags and dashboards and whatnot to, again, look at weekly accumulated loads um, and then look at the AC ratios um, just, again, just to get snapshots of where the guys are at so that we can look deeper um, as far as the on-field load. Um, we do do some heart rate stuff. Um, 
for internal load, uh, but the heart rate sensors are not always that reliable, uh, as a lot of people know. So um, that's more of a secondary thing. Um, and then obviously, we, we, as most people do, we do RPE times duration uh, for an internal workload as well. Um, and obviously, that's usually reliable and valid. So uh, kind of looking at that uh, more so than the heart rate, but also looking at the heart rate to, to see if it correlates, if there are any issues with the RPE um, or if there are any red flags. And then um, as far as in the gym, I think, like I said, we did, uh, we tested Nordboard and groin bar, you know, every four to six weeks or so, um, just to kind of, again, we had the baseline from where they were at in preseason. And then we would test every, every once in a while just to make, to see how much they're improving or if it's decreasing at all, if it's falling below specific baseline values that we want. Okay, why is that? You know, again, it starts a conversation a lot of times for the medical staff, for the athletic trainers, more so than myself, but working with them um, in conjunction to, to try and figure out uh, what we can do to make sure that guys stay where they want to stay. Um, if it's adding certain things within their gym sessions or if it's adding stuff before training, um, a lot of times that's when the guys do the, their rehab and they do their own pre-activation sessions um, that the trainers <coughs> and or myself will have done. Um, and so we, we, monitored that throughout the season as well, um, which was definitely very helpful for us this year. Um, and I want to say, I mean, those were the main things because again, with, with having three roles, I, I, my whole thing this year was trying to keep it as simple as possible because it would have been very easy for me to get, you know, um, lost down in the weeds of any one thing, whether it's the sports science, whether it's the performance side and whether it's the fitness side, but, um, I just, wanted to keep the big rocks, you know, as, as sturdy as possible um, and make sure that we did a really good job of all that um, to keep the guys as resilient as possible and performing well. And then hopefully next year, um, you know, depending on who comes in and what, what we have staff wise, we can really start to dive deeper on some things and, and do a lot more analysis on, on other things. Um, but I think if, uh, if, if we have more staff and time and things like that um, and obviously Larger budgets always help, uh, but a couple of things that uh, we were going to try and implement this year uh, that at the beginning of the year uh, that uh, had to be put on the back burner because of COVID and, and the uh, you know financial freeze and everything like that. Uh, the number one thing that I wanted to get were um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Perch. Uh, it's a it's a VBT uh, device. It's hit based here in the states. Um, but I have they, we used it when I was working with the team in San Jose. Um, they first started using it there and it's, it's becoming bigger. It's, it's actually becoming big in college football here. Um, because I think LSU used it last year before they, when they were winning the national championship. And so they got a lot of press for it, but it's, um, it's a laser based, uh, VBT system. Um, so you don't attach anything to the bar or anything like that. You use an iPad and, and the camera system. Um, and it's just, it's the, the interface, the user interface is really cool. It's almost like the players are playing a video game. Um, so it's really, for the younger guys, it, it, it draws them in and makes them want to use it, which again, for me, the, one of the biggest things about BBT is um, the guy, it causes the guys to lift with intent. And that is my main goal um, to, like I said earlier, I wanted to progress to BBT by the end of the season um, and just having the zones and, and having that instant feedback, it makes them want to, you know, achieve that goal, whatever zone it is. And so that, that was the biggest thing that I wanted to bring in were some, some, some perch VBT devices. Um, and so hopefully next season we can do that. And then uh, the other thing that we actually 
didn't have this year that uh, I guess the club had had before, but had gotten rid of because they didn't use them that much. But I would like to use them as, as actually force plates, um, you know, and obviously there's a lot out there. I'm a big fan of Hawk and Dynamic. Um, again, I've had experience with it at, uh, when I was working with the organization in San Jose. Um, I know, like, we obviously have uh, Nordboard and Groin Bar, so I know Valve has Force Decks as well. Um, but I, I, either one is great, but I just I like Hawk and Dynamic a little bit more. Um, but just being able to utilize Force Plates, obviously there's a million things you can do with them. Um, but for me, I'm really curious on the fatigue monitoring side. Um, so when I was at ACU... You know, I read a lot of stuff from uh, Amber Rowell, who was doing her PhD at ACU, and Stu Cormack, uh, and a lot of stuff they were doing with A-League players and the, you know, flight time and contraction time. And I know there's a lot of stuff that's progressed since then, but even something basic like that and just looking at fatigue monitoring um, and, and being able to have the guys, you know, especially the guys who played 90 minutes, um, jump, you know, a few days later and see where they're at in accordance with their baseline, you know, things like that really piqued my curiosity. And then obviously looking at stuff like, um, you know, RSI and peak force and all this other stuff, I mean, is, is great. And I would love to, to dive into it, but, um, you know, just having that ability to be able to have the guys jump on a regular basis and, and dive in and, and use the information to make valuable decisions and provide it to the coaching staff, I think uh, is something that I'm, would am, am hopeful that we'll actually get to do um, hopefully this year uh, or in the coming years. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good points there and a couple of questions off that. And, well, and one statement first, yeah, with the force plates I've seen um, internship right now with Alex authority, but they use the force plates a lot with um, like their return to performance as well. So it could have definitely a multiple benefits with your, your monitoring that, but even with your injured athletes as well. So there could be an argument for you with uh, getting those with the, the budget and everything. But I guess kind of going back to when you mentioned, so numbers would drop down on your uh, either groin bar or Nord, Nord board and, and monitoring. I guess, what did you would you try to back players offload initially or are you going to try and kind of look more into it and just pay attention to them more? Or kind of what did you do when, when you found kind of that drop from what was initially uh, their baseline or what they were previously? I think it, it depended um, on a case by case basis on what, who the player was, you know, obviously like guys who are playing a lot, you know, we know that there's going to be some neuromuscular fatigue, right. You know, um, and you're just getting a higher load than, than other players on the team. Um, so is that the case or is there an underlying issue? Um, and so it's things like that. So looking at that and then looking at the, um, the numbers going to, you know, our, our athletic trainers and, and the, our head athletic trainer, who was um, Stacey Harden, who was also the head of medical and performance. So she kind of oversaw everything for me as well. Um, and, and allowing her to kind of look at it and, you know, we would sit down and discuss things as a group sometimes um, and just say, where's this player at? What do you think this is? And obviously it allows us to start a conversation with the player. You know, if, if their numbers are dropping, you know, Hey, what's up, what's up? Like, you know, are you having any issues with, with your groin and, you know, whatever it is. And again, a lot of times that the trainers would be the ones who could kind of initiate that. And then we could get together and or put, put our heads together and say, okay, what do we want to do? How do we want to address this? Is it something we want to just address in the, in the gym or is it something we need to address on the field? Do we need to, you know, back them off certain things? Do we need to hold them out? Are they, are they going to be limited? You know, a lot of times that was, that was more her decision. Um, but just being able to have that information and start that conversation with the player and then start the conversation amongst ourselves so that we could make sure that we're all in the know and that we all have, you know, th this player's information and, and um, have his best interests as going forward um, was 
pretty invaluable for us this year, considering that how crazy this year was and with all the, all the, the fixture congestion and all that, I think it was, um, it was really important for us to be able to be testing that those things on a regular basis, just to see if it was a group trend or if it was an individual trend and if it was only a little bit, or if it was a large percentage, you know, um, and there's a couple of times where there were high percentages of drop-offs from, um, you know, Norboard testing and, you know, kind of go to the player and say, Hey, what's going on. And then they, there was a couple of times where I had guys confess to me like, Hey, I, I didn't give it a max effort, you know, cause I'm just really tired or I, I was really sore or whatever. So I just, you know, and it's like, okay, well, next week I need you to give me a max effort because I need to make sure that you're where we want you at, you know, things like that. So again, it's just utilizing that data to start a conversation with the, with the player um, is, is the best use of it. And then kind of go from there in, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and then kind of when you talked about your velocity based training and trying to integrate that in, um, are you saying with your main lifts or cause it's probably in practice or do you have a way, I guess, of trying to get every person with, I guess, like I said, it's, it's hard to get so many people using that at the same time or unless you have multiple devices or one for each person. So how or what is your general idea of trying to implement that in the future if you could? Yeah, I mean, so we were going to have a few different, like at least two if not three devices on, on our racks. And luckily the way that our uh, team gym sessions kind of work is – you know, the guys roll into the gym whenever they want, right? Like, so we finished training this year, all of our lifts were after training. Um, and so some guys, you know, if they know there's a lift, as soon as training's over, they get in and they want to get it done because they want to go home. You know, a lot of times it's the guys who have families, right? So they want to get home to their families as soon as possible. You know, some of the guys stay out on the field and do extra work for a while. So then they roll in, you know, and then some guys go and hang out in the locker room for a little bit and, you know, or even want to eat a quick lunch before they come in. And so we kind of have waves of guys coming in. So the gym isn't ever like really, really packed for the most part. And so the thing that I like about the perch system is, um, like I said, with, with the iPad, they can just walk up. Like if it's, if it's, I have the lifts separated in, in areas of the gym based on um, position group, right? Like I mentioned earlier. So this rack is for the outside backs and the wingers. This rack is for the center backs and goalkeepers, you know, things like that. So if the VBT w- were to be programmed that day and it says, you know, VBT um, uh, back squat um, jump, right? And then whatever the, whatever the zone is that you walk for that day, let's say, like, I don't know, 0.8 meters per second or whatever it is, Right they just walk up to the iPad, hit their name and it says what, and, and then the lift. And then it says what the, the weight based on their other stuff that they've done in the past, kind of what the, what the weight is going to be or what the goal is for that day. And so then they, they put it on, do it real quick, however many reps it is. And it, it comes back and feeds back that they hit it. And then they, you know, re-rack and then they can go on to the next thing that they're doing and someone else can step up, hit their name and go in it. So they can kind of just like cycle one at a time. Um, and so that's kind of how I envisioned it. And that's how, um, it was utilized when I was, uh, doing stuff with the, with the team in San Jose, um, and, uh, the strength coach there, Daniel Hicker, uh, who's a good buddy of mine is the one who introduced me to the perch stuff. And that's kind of how they do it. And I, I like that idea of like the guys just being able to go one after another, after another, and then come back to it one after another, after another, without having to reset everything. And there's no cords or anything like that. You got to put on the bar that you just, you just walk up the camera, you know, you have, um, basically, you're in an area where the camera picks you up and then you just do it and then re-rack and then the next person steps up. And so it can be a really seamless uh, kind of transition from player to player to player. So the guys get through without having to wait around for a long time. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because a lot of, a lot, I have a lot of coaches talk about lash based training and hearing how they all want to implement it. That's, that, that'll definitely make sense with your situation and how that works. Um, I guess one final topic I wanted to touch upon here was not trying to make it a negative connotation as in what's wrong with sports science in the U.S., maybe more of like what you learned at ACU and what you took from that um, that maybe uh, is really expanded your knowledge in sports science to make it really applicable and really beneficial for you and what maybe people in the U.S. could take from that. Yeah, I mean, this is it's, it's actually something that I'm pretty uh, passionate about these days. Um, it's, I've been trying to give back a lot and go and, and do a lot of guest lectures at, at universities. Uh, I started doing it at USC when I was living in LA. Now that I'm here in Minneapolis, I've been doing it at a lot of local universities here. But it's more so just trying to introduce sports science in general um, as, a, as an overarching um, field to a lot, especially undergrads, but even graduate students. Um, and, and what you do on a day-to-day basis at the professional level within sports science, within high performance sport, whatever, um, the, the field is, um, because just from my, and, and I'm not trying to make a grand generalization for all of, uh, us based, you know, colleges, universities, but from what I've experienced and what I've looked, uh, at, there's not a lot of real, I, I, I say, I would say sports science type stuff or high performance sports, uh, high performance sport programs here in the U S that are doing things similarly to what, what is being done in Australia or in the UK or Europe in general. Um, and I know I've talked to other colleagues of mine who feel the same way that, um, we're kind of behind here as far as, um, what has been done. And if you look at it in the U S a lot of teams, especially at the professional level, but even, even in the, um, division one, a lot of places are hiring guys or girls from Australia, from the UK or whatever to come in and be the sports scientists or to be, you know, the performance coach or whatever it is that, that is utilizing a lot of the data, you know, as a, instead of, you know, finding qualified candidates here in the U S and, and maybe it's, there's not as many qualified candidates because there's not as many programs. Um, but when I was looking personally for a master's program, most of the stuff I look, I, I found here in the U S was either, a, you know, a, a master's in strength conditioning you know, or just a master's in like general kinesiology or exercise science. Um, but there wasn't really anything that had a, a specific kind of sports science focus, or at least a, a good chunk of sports science where you're not just look, not just becoming a data analyst, but where you're looking at the data, um, analyzing it, interpreting it, um, and then using it and applying it, you know, to make decisions on the fly in the trenches whether it's in the gym, on the field, with the coaches, you know, how to report to coaches. And so the thing that I found uh, phenomenal about the program at ACU, to be honest, was it exposed me to all these different things that I hadn't really had the chance to experience in, in the university system here. Um, so even working with Stu Cormack, who was one of the professors, you know, um, who is a legend in, in strength conditioning uh, in Australia, obviously. Um, but taking his class on load management basically um, and kind of just t- just like how to go about prioritizing kind of load management and how you, again, utilize the data from external workload, from internal workload, you know, from the numbers, from this, from wellness, all this sort of stuff. And how do you collect it? How do you manage it? 
How do you analyze it? How do you interpret it? And then how do you turn that into a coach's report and then communicate it to the coaches so that you can make the necessary actions? And like that whole course went through all of that. And then from his experience and all the, the guest instructors um, and lecturers experience who are at high level positions all across the world, you know, with teams and whatnot, just having access to that and, and learning how to do that process, you know, and not just here's a bunch of data, you know, and here's an X, like here are the Excel spreadsheets that you have to do. And, you know, you're just going to create this, this report. Well, what are you really looking at? Why is this important? Okay. What, how do you prioritize what data is important and what do you want to communicate with the coaches? How do you communicate it? You know, so things like that. Um, but also, you know, the program has a lot of, it has a performance nutrition um, standpoint or course with, uh, you know, professor Louise Burke was a big part of that. Who's a legend in it. Um, Grant Duthie did a, a sports data and visualization course that I took, which is was phenomenal. So like just all of these things that for me, when I looked at programs in the U S they just weren't there, you know, and maybe they'll get there. And I know like USC is doing a master's in sports science now. Um, and there's a several other um, universities that are starting to pick up on it. And again, there may be some universities that are doing great stuff that I just never found. I'm not trying to make a huge generalization, but for me and talking to colleagues. And again, if you look at, professional sport landscape in the U S most people kind of see that like the, the people who have been educated in, in Australia and the UK, it seems like are the ones that are getting a lot of those sports science jobs. Um, and so we here in the U S need to do a better job of just kind of exposing the students to sports science in general and not just, okay, here's what sports science is, but this is what it means. This is what I do on a regular basis, you know, as, as a sports scientist with the team, this is my daily, you know, checklist of this is what I do here. This is how I do this. This is the, the reports I do. This is, you know, all these things so that undergrad students can realize, oh, this is something I can actually do. Okay, let me find a graduate program that's going to teach me how to do these things, you know, um, or let me find somewhere where I can intern, where I can actually learn these things so that I can become valuable, so that I can eventually be employable at a club, whether it's, you know, a youth academy up to professional level, you know, you need to gain that experience. And that's, that's what I found lacking. And again, it might be better now because I, you know, I finished my master's, you know, a couple of years ago now, basically, but um, that was the reason why I went with the ACU program is it had everything like that along with a lot of great S and C stuff as well, which was, you know, a huge passion of mine as well. Um, and, but it also, be, it came highly recommended from a lot of friends and colleagues of mine who are in MLS, but also work abroad. And everyone said, this program is fantastic. It's exactly what you're looking for. And so it was kind of a, a slam dunk and a no brainer for me. Yeah. So, so more of the, uh, it's, you learn a lot about how to like the actual sports science side and the numbers and all that, but then also how to practically apply and communicate and make sure it's useful, um, with, with, with everything. Exactly. Exactly. It wasn't just the numbers and creating spreadsheets, you know, it's yeah. because again, then you're just a data analyst, but yeah. if, if you're going to be an applied sports scientist or an applied S and C coach or performance coach, whatever you want the term to be, it's about taking all the information and then applying it to what you're doing on a daily basis to help your athletes perform at their highest level, you know, um, and, and make them resilient and keep them injury as injury free as possible you know, because all the teams all across the world that are the best, generally speaking, are the ones that have their best players available on a regular basis and their best players performing at a high level as long uh, through the season as they can. So 
to me, that's what applying it is. It's not just creating the spreadsheets or the graphs and then sending them and being like, okay, here, you know, take a look and letting the coaches interpret it however they want, because they don't have degrees in all this stuff. You know, a lot of times they're ex players Mm -hmm. and they're just kind of like, what am I looking at? You know? Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out how are you going to communicate that with them so that they can make the necessary um, plan of action from what you're telling them. Yeah. Makes, makes complete sense there. Well, thank you very much, Adam, for being on. Really appreciate your time. If you just want to maybe shout out kind of where people can, you know, you put out some uh, stuff on Instagram where people can follow you or any other places you share or will share content. And then I'll put those in the show notes for you. Yeah, absolutely. The only two places like social media wise that I'm really active would be, uh, I mean, definitely Instagram. Uh, My Instagram handle is at a par fitness um, and it's a P A R R fitness. Um, and I'm not super active on there as far as posting stuff that we're like showing what I do with the team and all that stuff. That's just not what I do, but I am very active. I go on a, on a regular basis. And so if you send me a direct message, I'll get back to you on there. Um, and that's probably the quickest way to get a hold of me and have a conversation. Um, and that's perfectly fine. And the other thing that I'm on on a regular basis is LinkedIn. Um, and so you can just look me up on LinkedIn. Um, and usually if you send me a message on there, I'm, I'm back to you within a day, maybe two. Um, so those are the two areas that are the easiest to get a hold of me. And then, you know, if you want my email and all that stuff, then you can message me on there and I'll send it to you. And, um, but yeah, anybody who wants to reach out, has any questions, anything like feel free um, because I've been in that position too, you know, even somewhat recently a few years ago where I'm, how do I get into this? What do I do? What, you know, where do I go? What course do I study, et cetera. And so I'd be happy to you know pass along any, any knowledge and information that I have. Excellent. Well, <clears throat> thank you very much again for being on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.